Amen. But I'm going to have to ask you to do that metaphorically because I want you to actually sit at this point. Uh, We stand uh, for the Lord every day, but I'm not going to make you stand for the whole rest of the service. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. Great to see you. Um, I got a question uh, to get us going uh, this evening, if I may. I want to ask, are you a cat or a dog? Now, don't worry, I know you're human beings, you know, or, well, at least most of you are. Um, sorry, good start. It's a happy new year indeed, and I've insulted you straight away. Uh, but let me explain what I mean by that question. I was at a basketball, question in, uh, basketball game uh, in America a number of years ago, and I saw this guy in action. This is LeBron James, if you don't know, who happens to be in the conversation as being the GOAT, one of the greatest all-time uh, basketball. But even though the action in the game was incredible, the entertainment was pretty special too. As at halftime, these guys came out. That was the Elate Dogs, as I'm sure you gather there. The winners of America's Got Talent that year. Um, and immediately after we saw them perform, I turned to the person I was with uh, and I said, Dogs are amazing, aren't they? They're amazing. Dogs will do practically anything you ask them to do. And they said to me, they said, yeah, dogs are like how we should be towards God. As all the time they go, yes, master, what do you want me to do for you? Yes, yes, I love you. You, You're just amazing. I'll do anything you say. I I, I love you. Do you want me to get your slippers? Do you want me to get get your newspaper? Do you want me me to go fetch a a stick for you? Uh, By the way, did I mention? I, I just love you. I think you're great. But we're more like cats. We're happy to be with God and do what he wants when it suits us. But if it doesn't, we'll suddenly meow, scratch his face, and get out of there and do our own thing. I was really struck by that. I think there's something in that, don't you? And so I ask you again, are you a dog or a cat? Which do you think? You see, I wanted to talk to you this evening about loyalty. Loyalty is really important, isn't it? Uh, We really want people to be loyal to us, but let's be honest, I don't think we're incredibly good at being loyal to others, are we? Like, we love our phone when we first get it. Uh, People will queue all the way around the block to be the first to to get the new iPhone. But they only love it (laughs) till the newer model comes out a year or two years later. I feel sorry for people's phones. Is that a bit sad that I feel sorry for their phones? But I guess this kind of loyalty spills over up other, into other areas of our lives too. Our friendships, our family, even our relationship with God, I think. Suppose I only stayed loyal for as long as it suited me. Always sitting on the fence, ready to bail at the first time uh, that uh, performance deteriorates. Or always wanting a better offer to come along, ready to bail when it does. Yeah, what we find in the Bible is that God demands absolute loyalty from us. The first of the Ten Commandments is, is this, you shall have no other gods before me. That's a command to be loyal, if ever there was one, isn't it? Jesus put it this way. When someone asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your strength, 
with all of your mind, with all of your soul. That's your lot, isn't it? It covers everything. We are to love God with everything we've got. No holding back. Nothing else will do. And so as we start this new year and this new series that we're going to be doing in our evening services this term from the book of Daniel, I want to convince you that God is completely worthy of that loyalty, no matter what. Even in the most challenging of circumstances, even when you are a stranger in a strange land, as as Rob said Daniel was, even when you're in a culture like ours, where actually it looks a bit weird to be a Christian, where people go, why would you give your life to God? Why would you do that? That's nuts. So why don't you grab your Bible, and we're going to dive in, and Jamie is going to come and read chapter one of the book of Daniel for us. Uh, The reading is taken from Daniel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. You can follow this on page 737 in the Bibles in the chairs. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged him. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them the names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the king of, king of chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it seemed that they were all better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink 
and gave them the vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that there were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thanks, Jamie. Great job. Okay, folks, let me give you three lessons in loyalty from Daniel chapter 1. Here's the first one. God is in control, even when it doesn't look like it. As it all seemed to be going wrong for Daniel and his friends, didn't it? Look back at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to, land, to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So where are we? We're in the year 606 A.D., and God's people, the Old Testament equivalent of the church, they were living in Judah. And the capital city, Jerusalem, is surrounded by a powerful army. But it's all right, because God is going to come riding to the rescue, isn't he? You know how it goes. You know the film plot. Just when it looks, all hope is lost, the superhero comes swooping in to deliver them. Except God doesn't. The enemy comes crashing in through the front door and they start trashing everything. It's horrific. They ransack the temple. Uh, they do all kinds of things you just wouldn't want to think about that the Bible somewhat glosses over uh, because it doesn't want to shock you too much. And they carry a whole load of people off as prisoners, including Daniel. It's a nightmare. And as Daniel and his friends have to trudge 500 miles by foot to Babylon, modern-day Iraq, with every step of the way, they must have been thinking to themselves, why has this happened? Has God fallen asleep on the job? Has he gone on holiday? Has he not been working out at the gym anymore? I mean, God looks weak, doesn't he? Yeah, the Babylonians. <laughs> well, they look great. As when they bring the things from God's temple in Jerusalem, as they do in verse 2, and they put them in their own God's temple. That was their way of going, our God is stronger than yours. Na, 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 na. And Daniel would have looked at the tiny minority of believers like himself in their sorry state on their journey to Babylon. And he'd have looked at the Babylonian majority as they arrive in the city who believe nothing of the God of the Bible. And yet, seem to be way more successful than they were. And he would have been forgiven for thinking, our God is a loser. And you may find yourself tempted to think that at points these days. I remember speaking to a student who had just started at university a few years back, and they said to me, 
about what had been difficult about it. He said, it hasn't been the temptations of sex and drink that I've found tough. It's been the fact that for the first time, I've been surrounded by friends who are all living without Jesus, and yet they look as if they're enjoying life just as much, if not more than us. Don't you sometimes feel like that? There are times when we look around us and we, we think, God looks weak, and, and, and yet, and well, he looks a loser, and, and anyone who follows him is a loser. And it really challenges your loyalty. It must have challenged Daniel's. I think he found himself in the kind of situation that uh, one of my children did in the, who had, over the first five years, I'm not going to say who it is, just, just to be clear, but they've, and they've given me permission to tell this story, but for the first five years of their life, they were a Scotland fan in everything, until they discovered, inevitably, what we all know to be palpably true. <laughs> the Scotland are rubbish <laughs> at pretty much everything, apart from maybe curling, I think. And so when it came to watching the Men's World Cup in 2014, they decided, somewhat towards the end of the tournament, that they were going to support Germany. Fortunately, that didn't last very long. But hey, having supported Scotland for 50 years, I could understand how they felt. We'd all rather be a winner, wouldn't we? We'd much rather that. And here it looks like God has let Daniel down. And that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were much stronger. I mean, why not change teams? But Daniel stands firm, as he could see that when Jerusalem was attacked, something actually much bigger was going on that not everyone could perhaps see. Something that might shock you. Look back at verse 2. It's right there. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the Babylonians' hand. That's a surprise. Why would God do that? Answer? Because God's people had been disloyal. And so God, like a loving father, was disciplining his children to warn them to turn back to him. He wasn't weak. He was carrying out his plan. He gave them over to Babylon as a judgment on his people's unfaithfulness. And likewise, I think the decline of the church in Britain and its influence on Britain in recent years is also a judgment of unfaithfulness within the church. And that's why Christianity in our culture has got smaller and it looks now like we're losers. It's not because the Bible has somehow been proved to be untrue. No, it's that churches and individual Christians have been untrue to the God of the Bible. And so we need to remember that numbers are not a measure of who's got the truth, of who's winning. So yes, the majority of people you rub shoulders with as you head to school tomorrow or the day after, or, or into work, or, or that you do your shopping with in the supermarket, they might not trust Jesus. But that doesn't change the facts that Jesus really did live that he really died on the cross for our forgiveness, that he really rose again from the grave to prove that he is the Lord of all heaven and earth and will be the judge who we meet on our last day. 
And if those things really happen, then the gospel is true whether 5% or 95% of people believe it. The difference is, if it's only 5% in your culture, then you need to be a lot more confident and sure of what you believe in to stand for it when people stand against it. And part of doing that for us, I think, is where we need the second of the lessons we're going to look at this evening, and that is be aware that the world is out to make you conform. Look on to verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Doesn't that sound like encounter to you guys? Okay, maybe it's just me. Sorry. Um, it, and what did he want? To, why did he take them? To teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So this was the equivalent of Daniel starting at university. And his education was to be the very best. It was like going to Oxford, or, um, Ox, Oxbridge, Oxford or Cambridge. I've got the two together. I think people do that, don't they? And he was to study for three years uh, alongside a load of wonderfully good-looking, talented, smarty-pants, toffee-nosed nobles. They were the cream of the crop. Maybe I was being a bit unfair on a character uh, earlier on. But if you think that they had it any easier than we do these days, you'd be wrong. They were under massive pressure to conform. As Nebuchadnezzar wasn't giving them an all-expenses degree out of charity, no. He wanted to turn them into good Babylonians. Yes, men who would serve in his government. And in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon always stand for the non-Christian world in every time and in every place. And we need to be aware that that world is out to make us conform to their, to their way of thinking and living. How? Well, look again at the end of verse 4. It suggests how. Nebuchadnezzar commanded his staff to teach Daniel and co. the literature and language of the Babylonians. So take language first. Language is a powerful tool to make people, to shape people, to, to think like you. Because language carries ideas in it that people want you to buy into. That's what political correctness is all about, I think. So think about the ideas that these words are trying to get you to buy into. Unwanted pregnancy. Instead of unborn human being, perhaps? Assisted dying. Instead of calling it what it actually is, it's suicide, plain and simple. Partner. Instead of God's design for human flourishing. Husband and wife, the bedrock of society. Marriage. Inappropriate or unhelpful behaviors, as opposed to just being plain wrong or sinful. Even the whole confusion over pronouns now is the culture trying to 
normalize and get us to buy into a way of thinking about life that is anti-God and his way of life. And all of that is behind the language that is being used. A different agenda, a different ideology. And we need to be aware of that. But there's also the literature of the Babylonians too. And in our time, that would include not just books and and what's being thrown at us in the education system, but also what's being thrown at us through social media, through Netflix and Disney Plus and so on which are powerful tools to shape and mold our thinking. So, for example, how many people emerge from studying science at GCSE or A-level or maybe decree level thinking that evolution is a fact when actually it's just a theory? Yes, a very, very compelling theory, I grant you. I'm not debating that. But a theory nonetheless. Well, how many of us us have found ourselves watching a film or a TV program? And we've been, the way it's been done, it it just makes us egg on someone who's wanting to do something really immoral, like like kill someone or, or go and sleep with someone, even though they're not married to them, even though it's not God's good design for human flourishing, as I said earlier. The way it's done, the way that it's been edited, it just makes us go, yeah, yeah, go on, go on. Do it. Found that? Maybe that's just me. But, but these things are not neutral, folks. The folks who, who put these programs together, these cultural items together, they're trying to shape and mold our thinking to, of what is appropriate and what is normal, and eventually what we think is right and true. Now, I'm not saying that we should never watch those kind of things or engage with them, but... I'm just saying, as we do, don't be foolish. Don't be naive. Be aware that the world is out to win your heart, your mind, your soul. (laughs) Those things that, remember, Jesus said, are to be devoted to God. Folks, we like to think that we're rugged individualists, don't we? Influenced by nothing and no one. But the fact is, we are all followers at heart. Remember our youth group used to, that I used to lead had a poster on the door for a heavy metal band called The Corrosion of Conformity. But you could just imagine being at their gigs, can't you? Thousands of people turning up with identical T-shirts. Corrosions of conformity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, folk, we're all sheep at heart, aren't we? Whether we're rebellious sheep or non-rebellious sheep. And we all have shepherds in our life. Are we heroes who we allow to influence our ways of thinking and acting? But they don't want to. Remi- you, they don't want us to remind us to remind them that Jesus is Lord. And his commands are good. They're good for us all. And so they seek to win us over to their way of thinking and acting. That's all we need to do in order to avoid conforming? Do we need to huddle away in a Christian bubble? It's great to be together as church family. That's really important, but but no. Because there's one further lesson on loyalty from Daniel 1. Be stuck into the world, but draw the line at who owns you. As Daniel, he doesn't mope and complain about what's going on. He, He just gets on with life in Babylon. 
He doesn't refuse to study at the King's College. He, he doesn't even seem to kick up a fuss when he changed his and his mates' names, which I would have thought was quite a big thing. But then we're told this in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Seems odd, doesn't he? He takes a stand over the college food. What was so wrong with the food? I, I thought he, he would have been happy not to have to subsist on pot noodle and tuna pasta bait like most students do. I mean, this was top tucker they were being offered. Some say it's because the meat might have broken God's law, but that wouldn't have been the same for the wine which Daniel refused. Some say it was because the meat had actually been presented to false gods in the Babylonians' temple worship. But the same could have been said for the vegetables, probably. Now, this is all to do with the ancient world's understanding of eating being a sign of friendship. In that culture, eating together was a sign of, of trust and loyalty between people. And Daniel saw the king's food and wine as defiling in the sense that it would signify that he belonged to the king and he was willing to do that, willing to be seen as that. Whereas the opposite of defiled in the Bible is holy, <laughs> which doesn't mean having a big shiny halo, uh, being a beatific vision of loveliness. No, it means being set apart or devoted to God. It's like your toothbrush. Really, it is. Bear with me on this. It's like your toothbrush. Your toothbrush is devoted or set apart to a particular person. You. And so you don't let anybody else use it but you or at least I hope you do. And it's set apart or devoted for a particular purpose too, isn't it? Which is making your pearly white sparkle. So you don't use it to kind of get the mud off your shoes when you come in from the house or, or get the earwax out of your ears like Paddington Bear does in that film. No, that would defile your toothbrush, wouldn't it? And in the same way, we are to be holy we're to belong to God and be devoted to him. And so that's why I think Daniel drew this particular line to show that although he would serve the king and be faithful in the tasks he was given, the king would never own him, however tasty his meatballs were. For Daniel wanted to make a statement that his ultimate loyalty was not to Nebuchadnezzar, not to the Babylonians, not to anyone else but God alone. And Daniel's loyalty proves right, doesn't it? God takes care of him. And in 10 days, he and his mates, they're looking stronger and healthier than anyone else in the program. And they've got wisdom too, which we're going to see more of next week. Come back for chapter two. But loyalty to God was tough though. It was tough for them. But it proved right. When Daniel felt his heart being tugged away from God, he slammed the door. He knew where to draw the line. And so I wonder, do you? Do we? Being a Christian doesn't mean having nothing to do with the world. We're not supposed to live in a wardrobe and ignore everyone and everyone else. There are good things that we can enjoy in this world. But sometimes we never really 
say no to anything, do we? Where is your line? Where in your life, like Daniel, do you need the courage to stand firm, verse 8, and resolve yourself, resolve not to defile yourself? Maybe it's something you're watching, you're listening to, you're reading, that you know, you know that it takes your mind to places that draw you away from God all too easily. And so you really need to step back from it for a while. Where are the places that you go as well? The people that you hang out with maybe even. Where you're most likely to get swept away into their way of thinking and acting. And drawn out of God's good paths for you. And if you're unsure at all about what or where your line should be, who is it you could talk to about that? You could get their advice from? Even when it's proving really difficult or inconvenient? For the sake of your own faith. But also to show to others that you belong lock, stock and barrel to the Lord God. So let me ask you again. Are you more like a dog or a cat? Are you loyal to Jesus only for as long as it suits you? Till a better offer comes along. Or will you look at the cross of Jesus and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you have loved me and stayed loyal to me even to the point of death. Help me to trust you, to stick with you, through thick and thin, whatever it takes. Why don't we take a moment to pray that through for ourselves right now. Let's, let's have a moment of quiet to pray to Jesus. Oh, Father God, thank you that you alone are worthy of our loyalty, worthy of our worship. So fill our hearts with thankfulness to Jesus for revealing to us your incredible loyalty and faithfulness to you, uh, to us. That we would trust your promises to us, even when it looks like you are losing, even when it looks like following you will make us a loser too. Help us to give ourselves to you, heart, mind, strength and soul this term, that we would love you and worship you in the way that you have loved us so incredibly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.